So uh, Lindsay's prayer was um, courageous and tender. Really, really struck me. And uh, I want to thank her for doing that. And I want to, um, as uh, a pastor, a shepherd from far away, uh, recognize that uh, when we talk about suffering, we often talk about the most profoundly wounding moments in our lives. And there are many, many women here and some men who have been uh, sexually abused or physically abused in other ways. And you've just heard one woman pray about that. And by doing so, um, she has given you an opportunity to consider whether or not this community is a safe place to seek help with those wounds, with that wound. And I'm pleading with you to do so. Um, speak with me if I'm far, I'm far away. Speak with a woman if, if you're more comfortable with that or one of your shepherds or elders. But um, I know from experience with the people in my own life uh, how intractable and enduring and tender those scars are. So I just want to thank you, Lindsay. Pray um, for the reminder that um, we're not simply talking about Joseph who lived thousands of years ago, but we're talking about suffering that happened a decade ago, a week ago, a night ago. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your mercies. I ask you please to instruct us in who you are and the way we should live. How we might feel to know that you visit us in our trials, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? Do you have any other brother? What we told him was an answer to those questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die. Both we and you also are little ones. I will be a pledge to his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, Gum, myrrh, pistachio, nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. 
Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise. Go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. As for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men to my house and slaughter an animal and make ready. For the men are to dine with me at noon. The man man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house and said, It is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that he may assault us and fall upon us and make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we come down. We came down first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks and there was each man's money in the mouth of the sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us. And we have brought our money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put the money in our sacks. He replied, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water and had washed their feet, and when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph coming at noon. For they heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed down with their heads prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is that your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep, and he entered his chamber, and he wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, and controlling himself, he said, Serve the food, and they served him by himself, and them by themselves, the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as theirs, and they drank and were merry with him. Amen. Well, exercise I have for you later today uh, when you speak with one another over uh, a meal, whether it's a taco or some amazing feast, is to ask yourselves, what's the most memorable meal 
that you've had. What you'll find if you have a room full of any more than two or three folks is that sometimes it's some extravagant, amazing meal at some special place, but sometimes it's just a kitchen table meal. Sometimes it's a breakfast. Sometimes it's a campfire meal. There's a lot of reasons why a meal will embed itself into our memory as a sweet time of fellowship or transformation. So there's your exercise today. That's your one thing. If you do one thing from the sermon, remember, I will be very disappointed if that's it. But, but that's one thing because I, I want you to use that as an opportunity to explore today's lesson, which is that God feeds the unrepentant with kindness and blessed are those who don't just eat. So God feeds the unrepentant with kindness and blessed are those who don't just eat. So let's take a look. Let's take a look at the hunger of the unrepentant and then the feast that God gives to them. Let's take a look at this hunger. Now the famine was severe in the land. Uh, I'm going to add to scripture and uh, remind you that it was still severe in the land, that this famine had been going on for some time. If you weren't with us in the last weeks, uh, you might not know if you don't know the story, if you're exploring Christianity, that's, that's fine. Um, basically, the brothers sinned against Joseph big time. That's a theology word. It's not like compunction, but it is still important. And uh, a famine has come upon the land, and they've, uh, they're still in it. They've gone to get help as you heard in the story, and now the famine is still there. Now, I want to remember that that Joseph sent them back with provisions for their journey the first time, with all their money, and with the grain that they came for. So these unrepentant brothers came, and they went away with God's kindness, and this is what we find out in the beginning of this this passage. Uh, They had eaten all God's kindness. They ate all the kindness that God sent them back with. For it was all a proxy of his goodness. And that proxy had run out. It had run out. God's judgment was unresolved. The path of restoration was untaken. And the first wave of his gracious provision was finished. And that's the way it always is in the world. Every meal you've ever had is a provision of God's patient kindness who owes you and me absolutely nothing, not the breath we take, not the clothes we wear, not the shelter we enjoy, not the food that we bless in his name. They're all bags full of grain. He's given us the money that should be his back again and again. And it always runs out. It's always, as Jesus said, food that spoils Jesus said that after he fed thousands of people and they came back for more and it's like, okay, you know, no, really, you need to realize that that food that I've given you is kindness that's supposed to lead you to something that lasts, something that lasts more. What does it profit a man, Jesus said, to eat his whole life and still die? Do you realize how satiated and filled and bored with provision, a culture must be before somebody stands up and says, I know what we should do. We should eat like cavemen. (laughs) 
The paleo diet is a symbol is a symbol of our abject boredom with the provision of God. That runs out because another part of the Bible says that God has put eternity in the hearts of men and women and they cannot discern its beginning from its end. God's kindness runs out on purpose. It always works this way. It always works this way. You always get hungry again. You always get hungry again. Do you wonder why we we eat and always get hungry again? Because we're not supposed to live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We're not supposed to work for, for food that spoils We're supposed to realize after meal 10,000 and hunger 10,001, we're supposed to realize that life is not sustainable inside of us. It must come from outside of us. God has set a feast in his kindness and blessed are those who don't just eat. Because there's not only sin and scarcity, but there's sin and society. And we can see a microcosm of it in this pathetic scene between Jacob, also called Israel in this passage, and his sons. They've come to the end of um, their provision, but they haven't come to the end of the confusion and dysfunction of their family. Joseph, or excuse me, Jacob's like, all right, go down and get a little food. I don't know what he means by a little food. It's, he's probably, I don't know, I'm going like, to get my counselor hat on, right? Which I'm not, but here it goes. He's like, well, I, you know, he's so discouraged that he has to risk this again. Just get a little. You know, just get a little provision. Maybe we can turn the corner with it. I don't know. But the point is, no one has any idea of what's going on. The most remarkable verse, one of them in this uh, passage, and maybe in the whole account of Joseph, is verse 6. Israel said, why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? Think about that. Think about that. Jacob is mad at his sons for telling the truth. But he's not mad at his sons because he doesn't know. Actually, the reason that they're in this situation is because they lied. Because what sin does to any community, whether it's a family or a church or a, or a city or a world, it keeps us from understanding the root of what has really brought about the dysfunction of the world, the dysfunction of our marriage, the, our relationship with our children, our workplace. Jacob is mad at them for telling the truth, and he should be mad at them for lying. And then there's this other remarkable word in uh, this, out of the, out of the mouths of, of the ignorant and self-deceived. Judah says in verse 10, you know, we could have been there in twice by now. Really, Judah. You know what, Judah? You could have maybe never had to go there at all. You could all be living in Egypt now if you had told the truth. Or maybe there wouldn't have been a famine if you had told the truth. You're running out of provision. 
and you're confused about what's wrong with your own heart, with your own life, with your own world, you pull the levers, you refinance, you get a new job, you get a new spouse, whatever you get that's new, that's going to fix it. It, it, none of it works. If you're friends with me on Facebook, you know that I'm concerned about the supply chain problem we're having. Uh, I'm afraid we're going to have to celebrate Jesus at Christmas. It's getting that serious. It's really an emblem for uh, all the things we use to not celebrate Jesus you know, on October 16th. Because there's a lot of other stuff to celebrate. And it's God's kindness. God's kindness feeds us, and blessed are those who don't just eat. But if we want to just eat, we go through this management of our sin that we can see in these brothers we're going to um, look at for just a moment. And then we're going to see this remarkable response to it. Um, There's a pseudo-humility and a pseudo-sacrifice. That's how we manage. That's how they managed. And that's how we manage. The pseudo-humility is that they're going to go back. They're going to subject themselves to the pattern of their ruler, Joseph, who was destined to be their ruler. But, but neediness is not the same as brokenness. So, so our, prayers, uh, our, our prayers for what we need are a beginning of our journey to God. It's a dependence is good, but, but I can ask God for all manner of things and not be really humbled before him. I just know that I can't reach higher than the second shelf. And so neither Joseph is not aware, or excuse me, Jacob is not aware, but the brothers are, are kind of not aware of the connection between all this and their sin, but a little bit. They've already brought it up. They're going to bring it up again. Being needy is not the same as being broken. And submission is not the same as faith. So they... They're going to go. They're, they're resigned. And, and the reason they're going to go is because they're super hungry and they don't want to die. Which is often the way God uses difficult times in our life to get to our hearts. But, but they don't have faith yet. They don't understand. They've not submitted themselves to those dreams that were at the beginning. If you're, again, if you're here for the first time or you're, you're not familiar with the story, Joseph had these dreams that his brothers would bow down to him and his parents would too. And they didn't like that, so they threw him in a pit and he became a slave. So that's the short version. All right? Um, they're submitting to him now, but that's not faith. And self-preservation is not sorrow for sin. I, as a pastor, I have seen people weep for their sin and its consequences And never repent of it. As a person, I have wept for my sins and their consequences and not repented of them. Because sorrow is not repentance. Turning from it is. So there's this other action that we have. These pseudo um, conformities that, that give God everything but our heart. Um, 
which we're all experts at. I, I, I went to seminary for four years so I could be a professional at that. But God had other plans. But there's this courageous sacrifice. Judah is in our text. We're, we'll look at him in a moment. But, but Reuben did the same thing. There's sort of uh, courage, uh, regret with excuse. Reuben was like, didn't like the plan, but he didn't stop the plan way back in you know, the, the beginning of the story. And so earlier he's like, I told you guys we shouldn't do this. And he wants to like make it right. And then Judah, Judah is, um, he's just pledge. He's going to make it right. He's not going to confess anything. Do you see that? He's not going to tell his father what's actually going on. He's not going to tell his father that the reason his father doesn't have one of his sons is because he had a great idea to sell him into slavery. But he's going to make it right. And, and he becomes, in a fashion, sort of the first churchgoer. I'm just going to make it right. I'm going to muscle my sin. I'm going to make it. I'm going to take responsibility. But taking responsibility is good. If you have sinned and hurt someone or taken something, then you must do what you can to make it right. But that's not repentance. That's part of repentance. Put it this way, uh, I'll tell Sandy when I'm about, you know, I told you before I'm not like a fixer tool guy, but sometimes you just, you got a house, you know? So you got to like tear out some drywall or something. You got to do something, you know? And so I'll, I'll do that. And Sandy's going, Mike, call a friend. I mean, we got some money. You could, uh, what do you think? We could go on a date, you know, and let's leave the house before you take that out. And I look at her and I say, honey, don't worry. I will take full responsibility. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> That's like, that means nothing. Like, I guess I'll pay to fix it, but it's also Sandy's money. You know, like, what does that mean? And that's kind of where, that's kind of where Judah is right now. He's going to fix this, but he's not going to own it. And everyone else is still going to pay the price. So if you're exploring Christianity and you're hearing someone say, um, God feeds the unrepentant with his kindness and blessed are those who don't just eat or especially maybe if you're a Christian and God's been feeding you all these years or at least baptized, then, then what does that look like? And it's the most amazing, remarkable, glorious, wonderful thing. So let's take a look. Let's take a look at that. First of all, it begins with this blessed invitation. They get there. They make their journey. They're, they're there in front of Joseph and his servant. And Joseph sees his uh, younger brother. The, the brother of the same mother. And he says, bring them into my house. Bring them into my house. I want them with me. He's saying, I want my brothers back under my roof. I want them with me. Joseph had been waiting for them to take a turn back to him in some small incremental measure 
in baby steps to restore what they had taken. And when he saw Benjamin, he also saw his brothers. And then he brought them into his house and he called for a feast. He invited them. The service here begins with a call to worship because that's the way the entire Christian life works. God initiates and calls us in. He calls us to a feast. Every table, everywhere is hosted by God. And Joseph invites them. You know, we talked about big-time Anglicans earlier. Well, there's another big-time Anglican called N.T. Wright. And if you don't know who he is, that's okay. Just, just imagine this. Guy's a big deal, okay? He's, he's big-time. And I was invited to a lunch over at Seattle Pacific University years ago when he was still a bishop. He's not a bishop anymore, but... And, uh, and I thought there's going to be 500 people there. So I trek up to this place and there's nobody there. I'm like, I got the wrong day. Turns out there were eight of us there and we had breakfast with N.T. Wright. I call him Tom. <laughs> I got invited. I was like, what am I doing here with N.T. Wright? Look him up. He's a big deal. <laughs> so Tom and I stay in touch, but we don't. Um, but look at you here. You've been invited. Look where you are. Look where you are. Look who you're with. And I don't mean me. I don't mean them. I mean him. And once they were there, they got afraid. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house Maybe you should be a little more afraid than you are. It's because of the money. These guys have such an active and misdirected conscience. (laughs) It's because of the money. They don't even know what to repent for at this point in their life. It's placed in our sacks. And think of what, this is what they think. This is one of the other most telling verses in this passage. He brought us here so that he can beat us up and take our stuff. In other words, in other words, everybody is just like us. They know the economy of the broken world. And they're pretty sure Joseph knows the economy of the broken world, and they're pretty sure they're toast. But you too know the economy of the broken world. And God knows the economy of the broken world. And God has his own economy of grace. And this servant, this blessed servant of Joseph's, they went up to the steward and they explained everything to him. And we had the money and you can just see the the concern. They're stumbling over each other. You know know why we can see that? Because we've all done that a thousand times. I did that to my wife this week. And he says, peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has put a treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. 
God doesn't need your money. God's blessing you. So then, in this blessed assurance, you know, Psalm 130, the songs of uh, the scriptures, says, with you there is forgiveness, O Lord, therefore you are feared. What, what he's getting at is what these folks saw. Like, once you're in the presence of God, you're absolutely dependent upon him. It's very vulnerable, something we should recapture in his presence, even as we rest at the foot of Christ's sacrifice. And so they were prepared. This servant does the exact opposite of what they think. Everything is happening exactly the opposite of the way they think it will happen. They think they're going to get thrown in prison and beat up and all their stuff is stolen. And instead, they get a benediction, peace be with you, an assurance, and then they just get their feet washed and their donkeys are fed. And God is showing kindness to them. Imagine, make a list of all of your unrepentant sins. The sins you don't know about, the sins you think aren't that big of a deal. The, the sins you've kind of repented of, but not really. Make a list of all those sins. And then understand that every time you have a cup of coffee, or see a sunrise, or a sunset, or laugh with a friend, Every time you enjoy your family, the embrace of someone that loves you, every time your team wins, every good and perfect gift is a gift from your heavenly Father who has the full list of all the stuff you haven't owned yet. He's feeding you with his kindness. Blessed are you if you don't just eat. Because he's tender. Joseph is clearly not Irish because he would be in a, in a self-righteous rage of indignation right now. That's what my people do. Now we cry later, but at first we explode with um, anger that is somehow an expression of our love for something. We don't know. But that's not the point. He inquired about their welfare. Listen to this. Is your father well? And they can't even answer right. Well, yeah, he's, well, he's fine. But, they, but he's not fine. He's grieving his sons. Is that your brother? Yes. That's our brother. That's what we're doing, what you told us to do. But they're not telling the whole story about why he's alone as the youngest brother. And instead of being angry after this benediction, he just weeps like Jesus wept over Jerusalem, like he wept over Lazarus's tomb. Isaiah said, God stands and holds his hand out and longs to have compassion on you and, and you and me, and we don't. We, we're busy. It's a beautiful day. Our sin makes us feel awkward. It's not that big of a deal. God has wept as God weeps 
in love and affection and tenderness for every single person in this room. And he will weep again for us. Because that's who he is. And until we do more than eat, we're until we do more than eat in his kindness, he'll, he still feeds us, right? But it's what I want us to see at this last closing moment is that it's an awkward feast, isn't it? When you start to think about it, these are, they're awkward introductions. <laughs> oh, you know, Joseph knows. Yeah, how, you know, is that your brother? Yeah. I mean, this is basically like a junior high dance. And that, the junior high dance is the only reason I think we should be against dancing. So no one ever has to do that. You will thank us one day. The other reason is, you well, you should see me dance. And then you would see why there should be no dancing. But there are awkward introductions, as I've said, about the father and about the son. There's, there's also this... this Awkward seating arrangement, which is really at the heart of what's going on in this passage. Um, because they're with Joseph, but they're not with Joseph. He brings him into his house, and because of the sin of the people of God, meaning the patriarchs of the tribes of Israel, the, the whole world is inverted. You know, it's, it's the Gentiles who won't eat with the Jews. It's the Hebrews who are an abomination. And it's the Egyptian who's clean. Because it's the people of God who wouldn't be a blessing to the rest of the world. And, and now, in this great irony, they have exactly what they wanted, but not what they need. They didn't want to be with Joseph. And so Joseph is not sitting with them. Joe has his own table. And not only does Joe have his own table, but Joe knows every single one of them and he sits them down in birth order. And now they're starting to get nervous. What, you know, who had their phone on, on location setting for this guy? It's very, very awkward. Another question you should ask is, what is the most awkward meal you've ever been to? I did a wedding once that was probably at least $50,000. At least. It was amazing. And I knew for a fact that the father of the bride pretty much despised the groom. And everyone in the family knew that. And we all sat there and ate this incredible meal at a $50,000 wedding. I mean, I still enjoyed the meal. There would be no, there would be no sense in not. <laughs> Couples doing fine. They were in our church for a long time. And the father, for the record, was misguided. Not all fathers are, by the way, but, um, but in that sense he was. But here's where I want us to go. With all this awkwardness, um, 
the introductions, the arrangements, the inversion of the world the way it's supposed to be, the with the one who can bless them, but also not with him. It's an emblem for exactly the way we live. If all we want to do is feast on kindness, if all we want to do is eat. And there's this little hint of that at the end. You know that little part about um, they drank and were merry with him? Well, here's a news, news flash. Uh, the word actually means they got drunk. The only other time that it's used in Genesis is when a man named Noah got really drunk and passed out. Yeah, I think we're getting a hint here that this is like not the way to go. It works, but whether you're drunk on wine or drunk on money or drunk on power or drunk on your paleo diet or drunk on your video games or drunk on your outdoor recreation or drunk on your career, whatever you're feasting on that is the kindness of God, if all that you do is eat, you will be drunk and miss the opportunity of a fullest reconciliation of the reality of whose house you're in and how you're with him and not with him all at once. Because the whole point of God's kindness, as we know from a passage in the latter part of the Bible, is to lead us to repentance. God feeds the unrepentance with his kindness. Blessed are those who don't just eat. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I ask you, please, in your mercies, to give us a hunger for more than can be had at the feast of the world. Give us a longing for something that we can't touch and see and taste, but will satisfy our touch and our sight and our taste and our stomachs and our souls. Grant us this, we pray. Help us to not just eat. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.